second. We are live, muted. Hot start, hot start. Sweet. And then we, there we go. Another, another hot person. Jimmy, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Oh, it's a yeah, good to like get on call with you guys and, and be doing this. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, let's. I like the swag. We need more swag in our rooted life. What do you guys have for swag in your world? We are actually having a meeting about that next week because all of the swag that I currently have is from like 2019. So I'm like, we have all these like random hats. We're running out. We had a bunch of hats and like three different kinds of t-shirt. And I'm like, now we have like a couple t-shirts and this hat. I'm out of all of our other hats. I like sold them or gave them away. Um, but we're meeting about that next week because I went to Expo and I was like, so many people have so much cool stuff. Such swag. I had such swag envy. You could ask Christy. We'd be like every other aisle. Be like, we need that swag and that swag. Yeah. He kept, yeah. yeah. He kept adding my list. Next year, we need this, this, this. Uh, and then well, I don't know if it was you who had the idea, Matt. We were saying that someone would kill at Expo if they had, if actually someone's yes. swag had a booth there showcasing all the brands they're using. Kind of like you see people do with the packaging booths. They for sure would. Oh, they for sure would. Yeah. That, that was my call, Christy. And yes, no, seriously, like a premium swag company would crush. Like I would have been, yeah. So what, what do you have for, what do you want? What, what's your what's your ideal swag going into your meeting with your wife? Okay. I desperately want like a really good hoodie. So like I've been buying pink clothes because I want to feel on brand all the yeah. time. So I have this pink sweatshirt I wear around and I'm like, it should say the brand name on it. I have to wear the hat for anyone to know what the heck I'm doing. I also have these pink shoes and I was like, dude, if I could have no baked shoes, that would be the coolest thing in the world. Um, but no, we're going to be doing uh, sweatshirts, focusing on sweatshirts, crop tops. Um, we're getting visors because our scoop shop employee is one of them. So I was like, yeah. you can have visors. I don't see why not. Um, and then just trying to get creative after that. That's why we're doing a meeting about it. It's like us, like three other employees. And we're like, we need to figure out like, what is it that everybody wants? And let's go ahead and get it. Zip up hoodie or regular? Regular, regular hoodie. Wow. Um, and then potentially like a, like zip up sweatshirt or a sweatshirt. Um, yeah. I just want more stuff with like, not just our logo on it too, but like our slogans. Like we have a, we have a really cool slogan called no, it's not ice cream because people will come into our scoop shops really confused like tourists and they'll be like, so is this ice cream after they've tried a sample? <laughs> like, no, ice cream's usually not like refrigerated <laughs> or that consistency, but yeah. yeah. Well, by the way, I, I've done this now every time I get too excited to jump into the conversation and I forget to ask for an intro, but here we are. Uh, Jimmy, can you give a formal intro where you live, what you do, please? Uh, so I live in Nashville, Tennessee. That is where No Bakes Cookie Dough is based. We were founded back in 2017 by my beautiful wife and co-founder, Megan. Um, and I joined her not shortly after in May of that year. So we both were basically 23, hated our jobs and we're looking for literally anything else to do. Um, and that's kind of how the idea was born. Uh, Megan had been making this recipe since she was in high school. Um, and she 
was searching for something that she did. She was like, what do I make that I can sell at the farmer's market? So I don't have to have a job anymore. Um, and that is kind of like how this whole entire thing was born. Launched a website, um, did a bunch of micro influencer stuff. And then it was really weird to see the traction we initially got back in 2017 from just like little tiny local things. Um, and that initially is what led us into building scoop shops. Um, and then we pivoted away from that. Uh, we still have shops open today, but we pivoted away from that during the pandemic for some obvious reasons. And then that led us into D2C. So we relaunched our website, which we had shut down back in 2018 uh, at the end of 2019. And then like it, the business just slowly evolved. It went from like scoop shops to franchising, no more franchising, pandemic happens, relaunch D2C, D2C blows up. And then we kind of were crash coursed in the world of CPG, um, which was a ton of fun. We self-manufactured for a long time because that's all we knew how to do. And we actually became very good at it. And then I was convinced to get away from that. Um, and in 2021, we kind of had probably the worst year we've ever had as a company, uh, like revenue, growth, all that stuff wise, because we gave up a lot of control to third-party partners um, who I don't think were kind of like prepared to deal with a niche product and they weren't really the right partner for like the fit that we were doing for like online fulfillment. Um, and we got back to our roots, um, not to be ironic, um, got back to our roots uh, this year in 2022 and started bringing things back in house. Um, we have a ton of capability because of the scoop shops still to ship online orders, drop new flavors on a like dime. We could make a flavor on like this weekend and drop it next week. And we can mix small batches and pack all of it um we just have to wait on labels basically uh so we started bringing that kind of stuff back in house um and today we see ourselves as a true omni-channel brand so we've been through it all uh still have scoop shops open they kill it if you ever come to nashville please visit our shops we have two of them here one in chattanooga and one in springfield missouri we have an online store that we do not advertise for at all it is completely organic we shut down facebook ads in october of 2021 um, so we have not advertised since then. Super proud of that. Um, and then we now sell with DoorDash, Dashmart, Heinen's up in Cleveland and Chicago, uh, soon to be Bristol Farms out in LA. A lot of really cool places um, that we're getting the product placed in retail on. And we're growing slowly in that side of the business. And then we have a really, really cool thing that's coming up where we're getting into food service, um, which is really strange because that's where we started um, as a company. But we're going to start packing up our cookie dough and selling it with a DSD ice cream company. It's independent ice cream shops. So that's a really cool thing uh, that's kind of evolved over the last 10 months that I'm really, really excited about. Um, but yeah, that's kind of our, the really short version of what's happened in the last five and a half years. Cool. Cool. Uh, thank you very much. Um, all right. So we had a few topics we were excited to dive into and then we'll just see where it goes. And I will say was excited to invite you on right? Like we're all being the most authentic we can be, but then there's certain people who just where they're at in life. Like it just, at least for me, it resonates with like more real and more comfortable in their skin. And yeah, I mean, how you interact and, and speak via LinkedIn uh, is very real and I'm, I'm drawn to it. And that like for us, that's the conversations we're drawn to have. So that's why I wanted to invite you on. So because uh, of the timeliness, I guess we'll start with Expo. So how was your Expo? What did you learn? 
what do you think about getting trade show booths? And then, and Christy, you can kind of take the helm on this because this was Christy's previous gig is kind of bootstrapping at expos or trade shows, which I know you guys did. So how was the show for you? And was it painful to not have a booth or did you work it? And was the scrappiness awesome? I really, really enjoyed not having a booth. Um, so back when we did franchising, not to like go back to something totally unrelated, uh, we got talked into when I was really young, uh, like coming out of the gate, hiring a sales firm. Like we didn't have a lot of cash flow and we didn't have a lot of money. And it was like, hire a sales firm to sell your franchises, participate in the first national trade show. It was a show much like Expo that was in New York. Um, pay like $10,000 for a booth, pay a bunch of money for people to work it. And that trade show essentially ended up feeling like really silly and it felt like I lost a lot of money and didn't like get a lot of value out of it. Conversely, this time around going into CPG, we haven't participated in a big trade show up until now, like even gone. Um, I do think going to trade shows is really, really valuable. Um, so we were like, let's get passes. We found out you can get a pass as a food service like buyer. So I got food service buyer passes for 40 bucks, which is awesome. Um, just needed our health permit. And then, you know, we were like, we're going to go walk the show. And we're going to be really intentional. I'm going to reach out to all these people I interact with on LinkedIn. We're going to try to go like meet all of them, like shake their hand, see how they're doing, get to know these people in person. Um, and a lot of that was very intentional. So like tried to meet up with all the other cookie dough founders. I love all of them. And I think it's really cool that we're all working on something that is, doesn't necessarily have a category right now. Um, and so like, it's really important that we all are kind of like on the same page, like working toward that. And that goes for other refrigerated desserts as well. Like, um, Dolce was there, which is a really cool company out in like, kind of like the new area. Like it was cool to connect with them, um, connected with Kyle Peters cause he was working their booth. So those were cool connections. And then we actually work with WeStock and we have for over a year, which is a great partnership with for us. Cause we do a lot of events and we have their QR codes in our stores. Um, so it's been really helpful for us collecting data. It actually is what got me in my meeting with Kroger um, earlier this year. And Cameron was doing a party. He was like, I need three brands to sample. And I was like, well, we're not going to sample other than this. So we got to sample for free. So it's kind of like having a booth for pay with paying no money. So really the way that we tried to do Expo was like, how can we get as much value out of this plane ticket as possible without really paying for anything? Um, and I think that really just came down to like the network we built on LinkedIn, um, which is really crazy. Yeah, because I love it. Let me, I, I'm going to sneak in a quick question because I'm curious. And then, Christy, I'll give you some space to get into this. So we were talking about it when we were there. And I'm curious what you were tempted to do. So uh, I'm going to set the scene. You're walking the aisles. You see a nice, juicy badge walking by. Do you let them be or do you just like try to do the slightly tacky and aggressive but what else are you going to do like grab that badge as as there's no casualness about it yeah what do you do when you saw the juicy badge i actually had someone do that to me and megan um <laughs> which is really funny they saw the green and they were like you look like you own an independent grocery store and i was like no but close <laughs> it, was, it was funny um but yeah, I, I think it depends on the stage of your business. So for us, um, I have a profitable, barely cash flowing company that's growing. Um, super proud Congratulations. of that. Congratulations. Not everyone can say that yet, right? 
in order to keep that going, we need to either raise money, which we're, we're currently trying to do for certain activities. And then for others, we need to like focus on things where we can grow without spending too much or going upside down. So I'm not really focused on like grabbing that buyer because for me, I'm like, if I get the chance to meet you totally, I'm going to make it really organic and I hope you remember who I am. And that's awesome. Um, but like right now we're distributed through Kehi, hopefully nationwide really soon. And we're focusing on our DoorDash partnership because they've been our best like customer, I guess, partner, whatever you would like to call them. Um, they're awesome. And so <clears throat> for me, no, but if I was just starting out and CPG was the only way I was making money. So like we didn't have the scoop shops, like we hadn't been in business a very long time. I'm grabbing that person. and <laughs> I'm saying like, Hey, what, what would your line be? <clears throat> if I was grabbing them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Was, honestly, like quick line, would you be like, Hey, I saw you worked at look at their past real quick and just be like, I have a brand new CPG brand. You know, do you have like five minutes to talk to me just for advice? Because people are so much more likely to be like, sure, I'll give you advice. You're not working at like you don't have a booth. You can even tell them like, yeah, I don't have a booth. Like, here's my past. It's not even a real brand because you're like mooching off someone else's brand or whatever it is you're doing. People are so much more likely to look at you and be like, I would love to give this kid advice. Um, that's this yeah. is my way of approaching it. I think when you ask people for help, I mean, even when you approach at in lots of aspects of selling, if you approach it as asking someone, I've, I've seen that to be very successful. Even now for myself, I'm trying to get in front of someone and they're not answering, going in the route of like asking for feedback or asking for help just kind of turns the conversation a little bit and you still get in front of them. Um, yeah. It's interesting to hear you guys say that because what I've always, I, the thing I've been hearing from a lot of people who are like more like I've been doing sales for a long time is you need to close. <laughs> like stop, stop beating around the bush. And I feel like every time I ask for feedback, I might be doing that a little bit. Um, but it is good to hear that that's an actual strategy. Yeah, I, I think it works really well. Or I mean, when we also really open people up and give them the option to give us, like if we're not getting hearing back from someone, like offering them the opportunity to give negative feedback, which kind of, again, softens the room a little bit and makes them feel comfortable. And oftentimes they don't come back with something negative, but we will say something along the lines, you know, checking in on the sample. want to check in on how those samples were, uh, you know, make a joke about whether they were good or not, because people will have a hard time, I think, getting back to you at times, especially if they don't want to tell you bad news. Uh, yeah. But going back to what you said about, you know, you love all the other cookie dough creators. Um, so I think that that is a very incredible way to look at things. Um, you know, I came up building in the functional shop category when there was not a category at Whole Foods the way there is today with shots. Um, and we were big believers in how you work with the other brands. Competition and growth in a category is a good sign for a new category. If you're the only person in the category, they're not carving out the right shelf space for you. Um, so are you, are you working with any of the cookie dough brands? Like, do you guys kind of have some sort of like, Hey, we're really hoping to get a set in a certain way at a retailer. Not yet. No, there, there's no, there's no like cohesion yet. And, and I've, I've been trying to do that. And I don't look at it as just like the cookie dough category. So technically if you talk to buyers, depending on the store chain, there is a refrigerated dessert category that right. does exist. It's next to refrigerated dough. Um, at Kroger, I believe they give it like four feet of shelf space. Um, I've been in a lot of Kroger's and they're putting like ravioli in the dessert case, which means 
that at those Kroger's, the manager is just straight up ignoring whatever was supposed to go there. Maybe because of supply chain, maybe because it doesn't sell. It's kind of like a backwater category. Like nobody cares, wants to buy a refrigerated dessert. They want to buy like ice cream or they go buy like the most ridiculous snack they could find like an Oreo. Um, so it's difficult to bring attention to the category, I think, because there haven't been a lot of like splashy brands like marketing there. And it's hard to do refrigerated stuff in general. So my hope over the next like year, and it's something I was working on at Expo, it's something I've been working on for the last year. And so how can we all like kind of figure out how to partner together um, to build up that category? Uh, when I met with Kroger, I was like, hey, I have this idea, like not just my brands, but like, here's my planogram. And they thought that was kind of funny. Um, <laughs> I was, but I was like, look, like I have this idea in my head that this could be like a really cool category. And maybe you guys should bring some life into it with like, some smaller brands. I, I think that a lot of us, like depending on what you're selling might resonate really well in a Kroger. That's what we found through our WeStock data gathering. So like when I gather data from people that go to our scoop shops, it turns out most of them live somewhere between like Chicago and like Atlanta and a lot of them shop at Kroger. Like it's be by far our most requested banner. And that does make a lot of sense because Kroger is huge. But the thing about it that's so weird is like, if you were to talk to someone in our industry, they'd be like, no, you need to start with like a small independent store. And that's awesome. And those stores are really easy to work with. But like, maybe you don't want to start with Whole Foods. Maybe you don't want to start like somewhere like that where people may not be looking to get dessert. Maybe you want to start with like Kroger. And yes, Kroger is not going to be like the easiest to work with, but that can be flipped on its head really quickly if you do well with them. It's the difference is like the buyer is not going to call you up and be like, hey, your brand is doing poorly. They're just going to cut you. And you'll you'll gonna, find out. Yeah, not <laughs> like, Wait, what happened to my slot? Yeah. And you're also, you're talking about like thousands of stores. So that's hard to manage. And I recognize that, you know, I had a really great conversation with another founder while I was at Expo and she was like, I'm in like a hundred stores. And one day I was like, I'm going to go visit 10 of them. And she was like, I went to just 10 stores. And she was like, every issue that could have been happening was actually happening at those 10 stores. Like, Items not put out on the shelf, stuff in the back, stuff is lost, merchandised incorrectly. And I'm like, yeah, so there are issues with going after a large store. But at the same time, if it, there is a lot of client risk with being like, oh, I have one client. If it's your hero client and you know your brand is going to do well or you have conviction, first of all, the buyer is never going to bring you in unless they also have conviction. They're not just trying to like flip brands. Um you need to go into it with like knowing what those problems are and then solve for them. Don't, and not like overspending. Cause I know that if I go into Kroger and we're priced competitively and we're in the right areas where I know my customers live, if you're me, I have a list of 400,000 people that have been to our scoop shops in those areas. And I can email them or text them. Like there's other creative things you can do. And I think that's different for each and every brand. And so each and every brand should be thinking about like, how do I make this work? Uh, um, like for me, but long story short of it. Yes. I want to get together with like those other brand founders. And it's what I've been trying to do by meeting them and saying like, how can we build up this category at stores that actually recognize it as a category? So like Kroger is one example that actually like has a buyer for it. Um, I'm sure there are others. And so it's really identifying those chains and then like, how can we work with them, work with other brands and figure out how we like turn this thing on its head in one store. Because um, yeah, you're going to one buyer behind the idea. Yeah. So tell us, you work with your wife. You started the company with your wife. 
Um, I, I tell us more about that. What is that like? What is the good, the bad, the ugly? Yeah, it's, really it's super interesting. And if I can add to that as well, it's like, have you guys without getting too personal, but it's really interesting. Like, have you guys had to like set boundaries of like when you won't talk about work? Cause that must be so freaking challenging. Uh, and it's obviously incredibly important and sensitive, I'm sure. Yeah, it is really challenging. I think that because of our age or personality types, a lot of weird factors, um, it ended up working out really well for us as like a relationship building tool. It sounds really weird, but like- It does not sound like what most people say. (laughs) Okay, so like, just listen, hear this out. Um, If you ask 10 people on the street, like, do you truly like share your finances with your spouse? Solid six of them are like, no. I don't. Um, the money conversation is why a lot of people get divorced. And it's why a lot of people I personally know I'm 28. I'm about to turn 29 uh, in a month and a half. And it's like, I have like four friends that have been divorced that are not that much older or younger than me. So that's weird. Um, and money was literally the reason behind like two of them. And I'm like, that might make us like so much stronger. I've had people be like, why do you tell your wife about this like purchase when you could just like go buy it? Like I, I bought a road bike recently because I told Parker Olson I was going to do a triathlon with him. Um, <laughs> and it was a thousand dollars. And I told Megan like, Hey, I went to buy bought this bike for a thousand dollars. And my brother-in-law was like, dude, why would you even tell her? It's <laughs> like, cause you tell each other all that stuff. Would you ever tell your co-founder or not tell your co-founder? Like, Hey, I went and spent a thousand dollars like that. That's fraud. <laughs> like that's, that's not, it's not good. So that's the first like easiest area to like show like, what I'm trying to talk about, like, if you can be someone's co-founder, there's a really good chance you could be married to that person. If you guys actually like are in it together and like stick together. Um, a lot of founders break up. That's like very common. Um, and it's very common for like businesses to implode because of that. If you actually look Forbes had an article about it a while ago, but if you look at, um, married founders, like at large scale businesses, they're much less likely to have the founder break up. Because if they break up, they're also like getting divorced, which is harder. <laughs> so I don't know if that's oh, good or bad. Do, do you guys, I know we all try to kind of personally have a cutoff and then, right, when then we end up working a little bit over a weekend or in the evenings. Do you, have you guys set some like, we're not going to be talking about work certain times? We've gotten better at that as people. We've never said yeah. it out loud. So we both get, on each, we get under each other's skin to this day because of that. Um, I don't know if there's a good way around that because I think that's the way a lot of entrepreneurs work. It's the way their brain works. So like I could have an idea for something at like five o'clock on like Sunday, Megan wants to chill and like not talk about work right now. Um, I have to try to like read the room and like be cognizant of that. Same for her. Like sometimes I'll like, it's done working out at night, come home. It's like eight 30 and she's like on her computer typing really loud like answering emails and I'm just like, dude, yeah. you're stressing me out. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Why are you typing so loudly? Yeah, like, yeah. And I'm curious, do, do, you guys, do you guys work from home? Do you guys have a little office and do you guys work in the same space or a different space? And do you guys schedule meetings with each other? Usually we schedule meetings with each other. So we have meetings on the calendar when we want to specifically have a conversation. Um, we tried to start doing that with all the people at our company because it's like, that stop just like side conversationing random things that are actually very important. 
um, let's talk about them. Uh, I work usually out of our scoop shop, um, usually out of there. Uh, and then also just like remotely, like take meetings from like coffee shops right now I'm at home. Um, we also have a six month old. So usually like one of us is at home with him. Um, and then our two and a half year old just goes to daycare. Uh, and then Megan, like right now she's at the scoop shop doing content. Um, so we kind of like, if one of us is here, the other one is there. Um, and we're usually not with each other during the day when we're working. Yeah. Um, all right. We have like three, four minutes left. I'm sticking in one more question. So, well, to set some context, when did you like actually, cause it feels newer. When did you actually like step into the LinkedIn world, meaning content and then briefly, what's like your biggest like cringe pain of LinkedIn and what's been like fascinating of like how it's affected your business? So I stepped into LinkedIn probably June of 2021 and I didn't get serious about it until recently. Um, it, it was really weird to build, like it built up really quickly at first. And then I went to this conference um, I met Parker Olson in person like Jake Carls, a couple other people that were like at this really tiny conference. And Parker and Jake are both obsessed with LinkedIn, like obsessed. Uh, and, and it's worked out really well for both of their businesses. Um, they kind of like turned me on to the idea of like, you can turn this into more than just like venting. Um, my, like my pet peeve with LinkedIn is like, I, I think less people, I, I am guilty of this, but I think less people should just like vent, vent, vent. And like maybe instead either like tell your story um offer some kind of like insight that you have uh you know or if, if you're megan you can like just post really aggressive topics and complain that's fine <laughs> um but yeah they turned me on to the idea of it as a business building tool I, like fast forward like six months later i was like all right maybe i should start doing this and then today the dsd relationship that we have um for like ice cream like putting our gallons of cookie dough in ice cream shops that came from LinkedIn. Um, so that's really cool that something actually like materialized out of it. This podcast that we're doing right now materialized. So a lot of these, um, a lot of interviews that I've done with, with really cool people and cool podcasts. And then the third thing that really materialized is you met a lot of their founders that were serious founders, not like people who are like, I have a small business and I'm not actually an entrepreneur. So there's like people who are like lifestyle businesses and that's fine and cool. And then there's other people that like, they still have a job and, and that's fine. And that's awesome. And I support that, but like, you're not yet an entrepreneur until like you don't have a job, no other source of income. You have employees, you have to literally survive in order for other people to pay their mortgages. Then, then you start to feel the, like the real stress of it. And I've met so many people that are in that boat that I wouldn't have met otherwise that have been able to give me incredible advice. Um, I'm a lot younger than a, a few other people in the space. And it's like, it's good to hear advice from people that have done it much longer than me. If I like think about doing this for 12 years, it sounds insane. Um, because I've only been doing it for almost six, but like to someone who's been doing it for 12 years, they're like, I have done this for 12 years. This is just the way, the way it is. Uh, cool. Cool. Uh, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, Cool. Where can people find you? LinkedIn, your website, all the obvious places. Yes. Yeah. You can follow uh, me or Megan on LinkedIn. You can also find the company at No Baked on LinkedIn. You can find us at No Baked, N-O-B-A-K-E-D on all socials. So we have that handle everywhere. Um, we're most active on Instagram, 
trying to get better about TikTok, but we have not found any traction on it. Apparently I'm bad at making videos. Um, and uh, yeah, you can find the cookie dough on our website or Amazon, please give it an order, or you can find it on DoorDash through Dashmart in almost every city. So uh, hopefully you guys go give it a try. Oh, thank you, brother.